You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau, and today on the show, we have Mark Harrison, entrepreneur, volunteer, speaker, and coach. Mark is the founder of the MH3 Group, a collective of ventures focused on passion, profit, purpose, which includes the Black Talent Initiative, Park Street Education, Humanity Agency, Sponsorship X, and T1 Agency. Mark has over 30 years of experience-driven sponsorship and marketing expertise. He has learned how strategically thoughtful storytelling can engage, influence, and motivate audiences in immeasurable ways. A lifelong volunteer and entrepreneur, Mark is a passionate believer in purpose, be that brand purpose or encouraging people to be purposeful in everything that they do. When he's not running a bunch of organizations, he's on the board of the Big Brother and Big Sisters Toronto, the advisory board of Crankworks, and on the fundraising cabinet of the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. He works with his life partner, Karen, has two boys in university, one on each side of the country, and a dog and a cat. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Ted. I always love the part when people say things like over 30 years of experience, but hey, hopefully uh, hopefully, I won't do any more self-ageism. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hey, so when they talk about the gray hair, so I've been, I've been told and noted by my peers that I've been growing gray hairs. One, one mentor once said to me that the more gray hairs you have, the more experience and the more money that means you've made or something like that. So hopefully that's, uh, that's a good sign. Well, I don't know about you, I love talking to fellow entrepreneurs, which is why I'm excited to chat with you today. But I'm gonna I'm gonna screw you up a little bit and ask you a question. Like, do you do you have plans to ever retire? Um, no. So as an entrepreneur, I don't think you can because we're just squirrely people that have to keep moving and shaking. And so, yeah, I don't think retirement is is a word that most entrepreneurs know. Yeah, we're two for two in that category, and I and I think you know, I look at this and. Uh, I, re- I read a book last year. A friend gave me as an, you know, a reco called Younger Next Year, and you know the silly, the simple concept is it's for people my age, which means not your age because you're younger than me. But it's all about how do you live the last third of your life, make it the best third of your life. So, health, relationships, contribution, and and it's just genius. And I some days I wake up and I think, you know, I'm not getting a day older. I'm getting one step closer to live in that last third of my life, which is going to be the best third. Well, I think like all entrepreneurs, you, once you start building momentum and you start creating formula that really works for you, you start spinning off into a bunch of different things. And I think that's why you have was a half a dozen organizations that you run. You sit on a bunch of boards, you coach football. I think you said in the pre-show you were, you're retired or you're recently retired from, from football, but you also, do you do all these kinds of things to provide leadership and passion and, and purpose? Well, I coached high school football for over 25 years. In fact, now I'm doing the math in my head. I was ripped off my final season. It's not a big complaint, but like many people who lost their graduation, their wedding, their final year of high school, the first year of university, and obviously for horrifically many people, the final year of their lives, I don't belittle that for a second. But 2020 was going to be my last year of being a high school football coach. And now that I put my mind to it, my first year was 1994. And 
a lot of people say to me, Ted, so great that you coach the kids. So I coached high school for 25 years, coached community for about a decade. I will unequivocally tell you, I don't care how selfish this sounds. I didn't coach for them. I coached for me. (laughs) I lost my last high school football game, 8-6 in the snow to Barry Central, a team we had never beaten. We're up 6-0 at halftime. I got cut in university. Like, I want to do anything I can to get on that gridiron one more time. So lots of people play fantasy. Lots of people play Madden. I played with real athletes, real youngsters. And so I did it for me. And I can assure you that I want no platitudes about what I'm doing to contribute to society. That will be my entire youth coaching football book. It'll be called Do It For You. Nice. So actually, let's uh, head back to, I guess, before the 90s, probably, too, when, you know, the origin story of Mark. How did you get to building all these great organizations and doing all the things that you do now? I was a little worried you're going to ask me to explain the birds, the bees to you. And since we've only met twice. No, no, I, I think, I think I figured that out in the last podcast interview. Right. So yeah. it's okay. I don't know who you had on, but I'm glad they cleared that up for you. But you know, all kidding aside, I am actually going to go back to something that is somewhat birds and bees like, and it's, it's important to who I am as an individual. It's important to my story. So I was adopted. So you talk about, you know, you and I have the entrepreneurial linkage. Adopted people have the adopted linkage. And I would say a lot of people talk about winning the birth lottery. I won the used car lottery. I got adopted by the greatest people in the world. My mom, dad, the Harrisons, people who raised me. And when I think about that and the fact that I was adopted by these amazing people, and my mom told me from the very young age, You can do anything. You can solve any problem. Just bring your strength to the table. And my dad taught me, get to know the janitors in the organization because they are the key. And my dad was a high school teacher. So when he wanted to get in the shop on the weekend, you know, he had to, you know, make sure the janitors wouldn't rat him out. My dad was a shop teacher. He's in there making stuff for our house. At the same time, I will confess to you and to a bunch of strangers that I think partly being adopted has always made me want to control my own destiny. And I'm not saying everybody has to be an entrepreneur to control their own destiny, but I would say that anybody who wants to succeed in life needs to be entrepreneurial, they need to be purposeful, and they need to write their own plan. So Cole's notes, born in Ottawa. I think I was sold with a, a free toaster or something was the incentive adoption. <laughs> wow. um, raised in a really Ontario, went to the University of Guelph, got cut, Best thing ever happened to me because I wound up working for the campus paper. So the football coach said to me, what do you want to be in life? I said, well, I guess I'm not going to be a pro football player. I'm interested in being a sports journalist. And he told me to go down the campus paper and tell them that if I was the football beat writer, he would let me on the bus. And he said, make sure you say that to them. I'm like, why? He says, just trust me. So I go down the campus paper. It's called The Ontarian. Some of the best people in the world, but I'll be blunt with you. Kind of had Marxist Lenin's leanings. I walk in, kind of out of a '60s movie. Lots of drug smoke. Lots of people looking at me. I'm this nerdy kid from Aurelia with a big afro. I was the high school drug mule because you could you could put full size joints <laughs> in my hair and we we dig them out in the bathroom. And I've got some probably some bad velour on. I'm like, hi, I'd like to be the football writer. And they're all like looking at me. And they were all like the guys that hung out in university for eight nine years, right? And women, they're just. Long professional short, students. Yeah. Long story short, when I announced the football coach said I, he would let me on the bus, next thing you know, they're surrounding me. 
I guess the football coach in the campus paper had a little bit of brouhaha. He wouldn't let them put a writer on the bus, which is hard to go to the away games because back then there was no internet, whatever. Fast forward, worked for the campus paper, critiqued our athletic department a little too harshly a couple of years later. They said, if you're so smart, do something about it. So they hired me and I actually became sort of a a full-time employee while as an undergrad of the athletic department at the University of Guelph. And my nickname was the ingenious student. That's what they called me. There'd be staff meetings that'd be like, student, do you have something to say? But that just became the platform for me to kind of get involved in marketing. And long story short, had one job, quit when I was 29, started my own business. Happy to share more. So it was T1, the one that you started first? Was It was originally called Trojan Sports Marketing. Back to Aurelia, my high school team, we were the Park Street Trojans. We dressed like the USC Trojans, except there was always snow on the ground when we played. I'd be like, coach, how come when I watch USC, it's sunny and there's, you know, fans in the stands and cheerleaders doing cartwheels and marching band. We're playing up here in Aurelia against Stainer. Say that out loud twice. Stainer, Penetang in the snow. But yeah, the first business I started was called Trojan Sports Marketing, which is ironic because I knew nothing about sports marketing and hadn't actually worked in sports marketing. So uh, my mother told me I could do whatever I wanted. Some would argue that me and my Afro at the time were a little bit overconfident, but I love sports. I love marketing. Why not? But isn't that how all entrepreneurs start? I mean, I started my agency as a video production organization. That's what we were going to do. We're going to make video. And this is back in the day of VHS and DVDs. And we had, you know, I would hit up restaurants and be like, hey, do you need a video? (laughs) And they'd be like, "Uh, no, but hey, I noticed that you did your brochure uh, yourself. Can you make us a menu? And I I was just like, "Uh, yes, 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 I can. Right. Oh, hey, uh, this web thing isn't going away. Can you build us a website? Yes. Yes, I can. You know, like you're hungry. You want to get, you want to, like you said, make your own destiny. You kind of just kind of make it work. So I want to jump in for a second. So yeah. I, I, I have a presentation that I do called The Entrepreneur in You. And I've, I've been lucky enough to present it to my clients. I've, I presented it at festivals in, in Austria and conferences. And one thing I talk to young entrepreneurs about all the time is don't get married or in love or attached too firmly to your idea. Ultimately, the customer. Will help the market, yeah. Market will shape your business more than you ever could. And if you're going to cling to your idea, you're going to fail. And you and I are both perfect examples. Of I, I I loved your story in our in our prep meeting last week about that. And and you know if you had just said nope, I'm a video star, then no. you and I wouldn't be talking today. I mean, we wouldn't have. Ballistic Arts would not have made it. I'll tell you that. I right. Mean, we've right. had to. We'd have to. We'd had to ebb and flow through. You know, we started it right after 9-11, right? And no one was uh, really doing anything back then. Yeah. And then Great Recession happened. And then now this COVID. So just you got to be nimble. And so... And why, let's, what's the name? Give me the ballistic. Ballistic arts is... It, that, is not, <laughs> that is not a very creative name. I, I, I know that. And so the story is not very creative. Insofar as I'm... My, I'm supposed to be one doing the interview, Mark, and, and here you're asking me a bunch of questions. There, you know, but but you know, but so so the 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 how that name came about was actually I'm I'm one of those doers. Like to me, yeah. I don't want to sit around thinking about our brand too long or names. We we it was just me and a couple of dudes, and we were starting it starting out, 
and you know, kind of that navel gazing of like, oh, what should it look like? And that over analysis. And I was like, you know what? We don't have a business until we start making money. So I don't really care. And so one of my um, my former partner, his email handle was like ballistic arts with a Z at hotmail.com or something. I'm like, I don't care. Let's just call it that. And you can just design whatever Photoshop logo. I'm just going to go out there and sell and see what happens. Done. Right. You got to do that. You got to, you got to put in a little hustle, you know? Yeah. Good story. Oh, thanks. I mean, it doesn't, it's not as creative. It doesn't have like that, you know, the origin of blah, 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 whatever. It was literally my impatience and, uh, I don't know, naive, naivety running a business. It was always very much, you know, how hard could it be, right? How hard could it be? I'll, you know, someone else has done it. I'll figure it out. And similar to your mom, right? Just as long as you're the most powerful thing. And that, I don't know. I just, that, that belief has always carried me through thick and thin. No, hundred percent. In my presentation, I referenced before, I take people through what I think are the three critical sales for an entrepreneur that they have to do every day. And in this order, first thing they have to do every day is sell themselves, sell yourself to you. Full stop. That's the first thing every day. Got to believe. Second is you've got to sell yourself to others. And when I say others, I'm talking about teammates, employees, funders, spouses, parents, friends, the doubters, the online disbelievers, the suppliers. Like when I started my company, I had no money, yet I wanted to go and produce stuff for events with experiential marketing. Fortunately, I had great rapport with my suppliers from my tenure working in an agency. So many of them said, I went to my boss, we'll give you credit. You know, you'll be able to come in here, you know, get $90,000 worth of hot air balloons without paying a deposit. You know, so you got to sell yourself to others. And then the third is sell yourself to clients or customers. Most people start a business because they think they've got a great idea that the world needs, but they have no clue that they themselves are not capable of waking up in the morning and being told no. That's our business, right? No, 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 no. 100%. You know, right now, people talk about this being the great resignation because of COVID. People's attachment to work has changed. Other people are being more optimistic, calling it the great hire. I can't even tell you the number of people that we've offered jobs to that we've gone all the way down in the nitty gritty of negotiation. And at the last minute, they're pulling out and I'm going, man, two years ago, you'd be doing cartwheels, sending me late night LinkedIn's. I hope I get the job. So when I talk about that second layer, like you've got to, in order, in order to sell yourself to employees, you got to sell yourself to you. And then ultimately, you got to sell yourself thirdly to customers and clients. But again, only if you sold yourself to you. And when people say, oh, that doesn't matter. The greatest products in the world not sell themselves. I'm like, no, Steve Jobs was Apple, right? Zuckerberg is Facebook. Like when you actually look at the biggest companies in the world, there's an iconic, there's Oprah, right? There's Whitney Wolf. There are these iconic Uber CEOs, innovators. And if you don't wake up every day, figure out your game plan to talk yourself into getting slapped around all day, you will fail. So do you think that's that belief? It sounds like it stemmed from a little bit from your your folks, your your, your parents, and then also football. Like you, you know, the, the speech that you had just made me, you know, go back to a bunch of these sports documentaries that I watched and the and the coaches, you know, giving the the pep talk. Like that's kind of how it sounds, but you know, I have some friends that are entrepreneurs that were, you know, athletes in, in college, high school, university. And I find that their mentality is very different than, than mine when I was younger. I mean, I grew up smoking weed, being a punk rock. I went raving, like, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have that sports mentality, that kind of 
mental toughness. I, I was more just a, an FU kind of, kind of kid and I found my way later, but is that where you got your, your mental, you know, toughness? No, I was a pretty crummy football player. Didn't have any right trying to become a university player. I would say probably as a youngster, it was a big dose of family seeing my parents who faced, you know, I'm sure you and I have similar stories, faced massive hurdles of racism, bigotry, prejudice, systemic, you know, barriers, even teachers who took me under their, their wing when I was young, like literally in grade two, I had this teacher, Mrs. Asselstein, who's like, look, I think you're smart. Actually, it was grade one. She's like, you should do grades two and three together. Like, I was like, don't, don't the smart kids get to skip? Yeah, but that's the easy way. So I literally like, I actually did grades two and three in the same year. Wow. Um, you know, I had great bosses at a hotel in my hometown named Brian Normando that I worked for. Probably sports-wise, if I could think of one coach that most steeled me, uh, it's Coach Dowswell, our wrestling coach, who I couldn't stand, but he drove me. Like, you know, running on Friday nights after school around our school hallways in garbage bags to lose weight for the next day's meet. You know, a sign on the roof of our wrestling room that said, if you can read this sign, you're in trouble. You know, he had no political correctness, you know, whatsoever. But I think like he pushed me and I went from being like a crummy wrestler and quite frankly, a bit of a wimp to having some upsets in our regionals and actually made it to provincials, which I had no right doing. And I, and I remember I, I just got on a bit of a roll, but I think it, I think genetically I'm a fighter. I, I, I would attribute that to my biology. I think my mom steeled me and I saw the crap that my mom had to go through. But I, I think there's these other pieces. I would then flip around and say that as a football coach, though, my mantra was always do more with less, right? I coached at a rugby school, so you're always fighting for athletes. You know, it was about how do I take a group of kids and tap into them? And, and quite frankly, if we didn't have the skill, I pushed them to the brink so that no matter what happened in the game, like practice was always going to be worse. Like, like I, I wanted them to, you know, pressure test them. And that didn't always work. Some kids crumble, but by and large, that was kind of, you know, maybe a bit old school, even though, as you know, I'm a Steelers fan. I could talk to you, my friend, about Vince Lombardi. Oh, yeah. I watched the documentaries. So for our audience who don't know. You, have you um, read When Pride Still Mattered? No, I, I haven't gotten that far. I just, I've been watching his football life stuff. But just to, for the audience, um, in our pre-talk that we had last week, I had on my New England Patriots shirt. or wash the car in i mean it's understandable it was it was a shirt i mean and then and then so what what did you say you said like oh god this is not going to go well or something like that is is what the first thing you said said, said like nice to meet you ted too bad you don't have any taste yeah yeah, i think it was like you said something like that and yeah i know i was like i was like literally i was like what (laughs) all the shirts a man could wear like you could wear a raven shirt i would throw you some respect you could wear a brown shirt. I'm like, oh, no, come last on. fluke. I could laugh at you. You could wear a Bengals shirt. And I'm like, are you guys still in the NFL? You showed up in a Patriots shirt. Just so the audience knows. So I get on there and, and he, I'm like, what are you talking about? And so he raises his coffee mug and Mark has a Steelers logo and he's got it right now as well. So he's raising it, but we can't see it because it's audio. And so he's got a, he's got a Steelers mug. And so we basically spent, I don't know, 89% of the time talking about, about the NFL. And we just kind of bonded over that and about my story about how I became a Patriots fan, which 
I'm sure I can I can talk about that another time because really yeah, the, I, the conversation here is about is about you, Mark. And I I really wanted to get into well the marketing side of things. So you talked about sales, right? You talked about you know you got to sell yourself and all that. And and usually you know sales is on the on different side of the same coin of marketing, right? So how did you get in? Because you, you said like I don't have any sports marketing experience, and yet you got into it and you thrived over decades of of different recessions, different things that have gone on, COVID, you've grown your company, companies over COVID. So talk about that. Well, for me, and to your point around marketing, when I, let me go back. When I talk about selling myself, that's probably more like personal coaching, you know, motivation, but to your point on sales and marketing. So I did work at a marketing agency called Glavin and Associates, which no longer exists. And I was lucky enough to get on the FM account, Mars Canada. So I worked on Whiskas Cat Food, Pal Dog Food, then on Uncle Ben's Rice, then on Mars Snickers, M&M's. And I will say a couple of things about working at this agency, Glavin and Associates, for seven years. One, if you're 22 and you're looking at a job, I would either go to a company that is a rocket ship or a disaster. Don't go to a company that's growing plus 2% every year. I went a to disaster? Work yeah. And I was lucky enough to work for a disaster. Everything about it, like I met the owner somewhat by, by accident because I thought I had a job somewhere else and that company had some problems. So this woman there said, I know this guy, his name's Dennis Glavin. He's no longer with us, but he's a bit of a grumpy dude. He doesn't hire kids out of university, but I think somehow you guys will like each other. And you'll like the next part. So I phone him from payphone, the Bay at like Youngman Bloor. It's a Friday afternoon. I start babbling. Somehow get him on the phone. I tell him I'm graduating next spring. It's November, I think. He says, graduating with what? And that little voice in my head says, start talking, Mark. So I'm like, political science, but. And he said, well, I'm sitting around my office after listening to me for five minutes and um, come by. And fortunately, because I'd been in Toronto for another meeting with what I thought was going to be the company that's hiring me, I had my university portfolio. So I've done some spot ship deals on campus, some promotions, because I worked for the athletic department. I walk into his office and here's a skill testing question for you. What logo did I see spread all over his office? A skill, I mean. Say it, you were there. What? You were there, say it. You, you, you said the first part and then you just stopped. I don't know, was he a Steelers fan? Yes. Wow. So I walk in, I'm like, oh, whatever is up there that somebody believes in. I, it's me. So. He's a Steelers fan. He's a basketball nut. I had some basketball promos and know more about the Steelers than anybody. We bond. And I go and he says, what do you know about pets, pet care? And I make some stupid joke about drowning my goldfish, which he did not laugh at. Then I battled <laughs> on. He said, come back Monday, talk to his team about pet care. I go home, call my mom. My mom says, get to the school library and write a situation analysis on the Canadian pet care industry. I come back in. I present it to these two people he asked me to meet with. They have no interest in seeing it, blah, blah, blah. I end up, you know, they're fighting, by the way. It's like the most bizarre thing. I end up leaving this office feeling like, well, this is going nowhere. He asked to see me. I show him the report. He asked me, how much money do you want? And Ted, at the time, the job offers I was getting, the annual salaries range from about 9,500, not 1,000, to like 11,000. So I was like, if I'm going to work here, because this, by the way, I'm, I'm skipping a bunch of details, but the place, there was, it was just like, it was, it was a shit show. 
But if I'm going to work here, I want 20K. So I wow. said, well, the job that I was supposed to get where the company went under, they had offered me 20,000. So I'm, I'm hoping I can at least match that. Dennis writes it down, phones me a few days later. You can start or we'll hire you if you can start in January, which meant I had to figure out how do I start my last year of university and take a full-time job. So I ended up working there three days a week and then it became full-time. But what was great about it was I got on the Mars account. And the best part about being on the Mars account was they hated us as an agency. I mean, I remember my first <laughs> meeting, like they freaking hated us. I was in a little glass boardroom, four by four, me, my boss, who was a jerk, the guy who wouldn't read my report, also the <laughs> best friend of the owner and two clients. There's a messed up project. All three of them except me are smoking. I don't smoke, never have. I'm in a glass box. The anger is unbelievable. And all I'm like, so what does he want us to do? And how do you want us to solve it? I go back outside. I'm in Bolton, Ontario, an hour from our office, getting the 1978 Valaria that my parents had bought me because I was commuting in from Guelph mm -hmm. and said, holy f this is this is marketing. This isn't what I learned in university. Like guys are swearing <laughs> at each other and smoking. And, and It's Mad Men. It's basically what it was. You just yeah. described a scene out of Mad Men. But, and I've never seen an episode. But for the next seven years, I worked on the Mars business. And I can tell you, they adopted me like an extension of the family. I launched products. I traveled the country. They had me present to clients, customers, I mean. And I met the Mars family because it's privately held. Oh, yeah. And I learned everything there was about packaged goods marketing. Because Mars, you know, they, they, they run lean and mean. They rely heavily on their agencies. I've got a bunch of great people there that I would consider to this day mentors and great friends. They took a chance on a stupid little 22-year-old with a, still with a big afro, with a 78 Bellari and a greasy $88 suit from Sears. $88 suit. I mean, that would, that would have been fancy back then, no? It was fancy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It was fancy. But maybe it's because you were a Steelers fan. Did you ever go to a game with the owner? Yes. The only time we went to a game was in Buffalo. A bunch of us went. We had a guy named Tim who didn't drink, so he was the designated driver. We go down. Dennis was a very moody guy. The Steelers are getting their asses kicked. I can't even remember what year it is. And then he makes us leave early. And I'm like, oh, no. Ted, if you and I went to a Steelers-Patriots game, no matter which way the score was, unless it was like, hey, we're out in Foxborough and the Cumulus, you'd have a hard time getting me to leave before the final whistle. Like, I love football. I don't care if we're down 40 nothing. I'm watching the last play. And I mean, yeah. So, so we leave and we turn on the radio and all of a sudden the Steelers start this comeback. And next thing he was like, turn around, turn around, go back to the stadium. I'm like, oh. but did they win? Important part of that story is I got a seven year education in marketing from my client, from suppliers, from partners that, by the way, I had a political science degree from the University of Wales. Mm-hmm. So you know, trial by fire, right? Trial by fire. Back to your point about starting ballistic arts. So Mars had an open office and, you know, very well high paid people with little desks. And I remember one of my mentors who was like a print broker said, let me give you a secret on how to grow your account, get more business. He said, when you go there for meetings, go to the bathroom at least once, if not twice, and always take a different route. So what do you mean by this? It's never take the same route. He knew the Mars company because he'd been in there selling print. So if I was in the southwest corner of the big open office, instead of just going along the wall and taking a left turn up to the washroom, I would meander. And at first, people just kind of look up and whatever. And maybe the next week, they're like, hey, dude, same suit, you know? So maybe I'd, I'd change the shirt. But then what happened was people would wave at me like, hey, are you the guy from Glavin that did the sales sheets for the pet care launch? Yeah. I'm on your way back. Can I talk to you? They're like, hey, I work on the ice cream division. Can you do some sales sheets for me? The greatest BD ever. It was that, you know, that, that mantra about walking management by walking around. Mm-hmm. This was business development by walking around. And, and so when you talk about sales and marketing, the marketing part of that is I was accountable. I was responsible. People knew I get shit done. Oh, by the way, I worked like seven days a week because I was young, wearing a bad suit, driving a Sunday, which meant I had no dates. And that marketing was by rep, people knew I'd get crap done pull miracles out of the fire. And I, I, would, I would beat up printers and display guys and suppliers. Like I didn't, no, nobody was getting in my way. If the client wanted something that was ridiculous, I got it done. The sales part was just being, it was proximity, right? It's, it's Starbucks, Tim Hortons 101. If you're on the corner when somebody wants a coffee, you're going to come in and get a coffee. I just took a different rep to the washroom. By the way, I wash my hands a lot. But the funny part was the guy running confectionery whose name I'm going to leave out this podcast because he might not want the story told. But he was, you know, the big head of the confection. And I was like intimidated, you know, because we didn't have any of their confection business. I kid you not, my man. One day I'm in the men's room, two urinals over, and he starts a convo, breaks all the men's room etiquette, right? Wow. You're the guy from Glavin, right? I'm like, stare straight ahead. Yep, that's me. <laughs> Long story short, you know, my connection, he's like, hey, after you're done in here, come by my desk. But proximity, and I would just say to any young entrepreneur, and I, I practice this much more than walking around. When I started my company, I used to cheat code my way to get to press conferences to meet people in the business. And I'll tell you about that in a second. But like, I would say to any young entrepreneur, 
and COVID and remote work notwithstanding, you need to go where your clients and your customers are. Because when I talk about selling yourself to you, then you build up that power. You're now marketing. You need to speak. You need to do podcasts. You need to have an opinion. You need to have a voice. You need to have a point of view. And you need to be where people are. And as much as people talk about all these social media stars and all these businesses that exploded, hey, you know how Clubhouse got started? By people sitting together, brainstorming about an idea, not by doing it through Zoom, not by texting somebody in another country. You get on a plane, get on your bike, get in your ride share and get together with people. That's amazing. So then with your your experience of running the agency, you've grown it. You, you, you said that you're 100 strong right now. How did you get there? I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of brain damage, you know. Like, like having all these people, all these organizations, you know. There's that saying, "My business would be great if it wasn't for the people," you know, or or you know what they say. Right? No, no, I know that. I know that saying. It, it would be a great business without staff and clients. Yeah, exactly. And so, how do you how do you manage? How do you grow that? When did you? I don't know. When did you become not the marketer? I guess you're always going to be the marketer, but you're not hands on tools, right? How do you make that transition? Let's look at the first 25 and a half years different than the last year and a half. So May 16, 1994, I start the company. We're one people for like three years, like four people for like three years. And we're like nine people for like two years. And then one year we grew from nine to 36 and I almost bankrupt us completely my fault. And then we grew to about 50 and then we retrenched to 40 and then we grew pretty steadily to 75 or 80. I'd say... You know, all those ups and downs notwithstanding, there's a couple of key truisms. One is when I started the business, I wanted to take big brands to the grassroots of Canada. So when I talked about sports marketing, I was like, why is it when I go to a client, they give me a brief? It's this national program, it's Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. So if you live in Aurelia like I did, or Halifax like my son does, or Calgary like people you know do, then I wasn't part of Canada. So I wanted to go to like, how do you get to the the Airdries and the, the medicine hats and the brand in Manitobas? That was kind of a bit of my positioning, but the key to my business and what I wanted to do then, and I have done all my life, is to help my client do her job better. That's the only reason we exist. Our mission statement has been some variation of getting our clients promoted or elevating our clients every day forever. And getting our clients promoted does not mean Nissan or Mattel or OG. It means the individuals, the Randys, the Natalies, Right, the people that are across the desk from me. And so how did I grow the business? You know, every day sticking to that fundamental truth, I'm here to help you do your job. A big part of what I did was market and drive awareness of who I was. So I made a comment earlier about I used kind of a cheat code to get in press conferences. Mm-hmm. Something I learned pretty quickly about the sponsorship industry, even in 1994, it's a club. In 2021, it's still a club. And I was like, well, how do I get in the club? Well, if you're a little unknown agency, a big brand's not going to invite you into the club. If you're a little unknown agency, big agencies aren't going to invite you into the club. But the people that want sponsors might invite you into the club if you get in there by accident. So I would notice that there'd be, you know, on the things I subscribe to, a press release saying the, you know, Volleyball Canada announced a new sponsor or the Toronto Argonauts announced a new sponsor or there was a media kickoff for season ticket drive. I was like, hmm. So I just started a little newsletter and started calling up the marketing PR communications directors at organizations saying, I have a little newsletter. 
um, can you tell me when your next press conference is and can I get invited? I'll, I'll cover you in my newsletter. Nobody asked who read it, right? Could have been, been, been my cousin, my dad. Nobody <laughs> but next thing you know, I was in the club, Ted, because I had credentials and I had little sandwiches and a little plate with a drink and I was trying to balance them all at once and I had business cards. They were embossed business cards with a metallic stamp that you'd piss your pants laughing at out of a trophy. <laughs> and I had business cards. But the point back you made earlier, that is marketing. And, I, and, I, and I, my approach was ubiquity. I just wanted to be everywhere. And all of a sudden you see somebody for the second time and you end up just building up a profile. And then as we grew the business, I then advanced that to, hey, my one and only boss, bless his heart, he was not the best human in the world, but he gave me my break. So I'm not sure I'm going to talk ill of the dead, but he was a tough guy to get along with. But he was very much against competition. He slayed, he would always badmouth their competitors, et cetera. I said, you know, if you're good at what you do, there's enough business for all of us. So many years ago, I'd travel to US conferences and I'd be frustrated. I'd be at a conference in Chicago, hearing about sports marketing budgets from Gatorade or American Airlines. I'm like, nobody in Canada has that. So I started our own conference series, originally called the Canadian Sponsorship Forum, now called Sponsorship X. And I said to my team, this will never be the Trojan, now we're T1 conference. It will be an industry conference. We'll have our competitors on stage. We'll have our competitors' clients on stage. We will bring together the industry. Because today, your competitor could be your client tomorrow or your colleague a week later. And so, you know, I, and I also said, we need to demonstrate to our clients that if we believe in sponsorship, experiential marketing, shouldn't we practice what we preach? So that's the marketing way I grew the business. Internally, I would say I, I'm not the best people manager in the world. And there's probably a period of my career where I was probably like, if not a bully, not the best manager, period. I don't say that lightly because I was always obsessed and still am obsessed and still struggle when I see stuff that isn't at my level, but now I can at least bite my tongue. But, you know, again, back to, we just got a team, we got a bunch of great people, a bunch of the people that have been with us, have been with us a long time. And ultimately I learned that what am I good at? What am I not good at? Still learning that every day, but building that team and the team that can execute. And I think the last part is, you know, whether you like me or you dislike me, whether you worked for me and thought that I was too tough or not, like I'm going to be passionate every day. And I don't give a rat shit whether you care about it or not. If I'm overly hyped about something and that's bugging you, and I'm like, this debt needs to be better. And yeah, I say stuff with passion. And some people might think, oh, he's the angry black man going at it again. But you know what? Like, if you're going to get out of bed, do it off a high diving board and otherwise don't bother. Amen. I want to touch upon that last comment you made, the, the angry black man conversation and, and actually how we started having our conversations together is uh, through one of our other guests, Christine Scott. Mm-hmm. who joined me on a previous podcast episode. And, and she shared with me the Black Talent Initiative and talking about, you know, combating or I guess living through systemic racism and, and how she had gone through a lot of that. And, and you just made a comment around, around you know, the, the stereotypical angry black, black guy thing. Talk about that because you've, other than Dennis, the guy that who gave your break that you said was a lovely human being, other than him, you've worked yourself you're the man you're the the guy that drives the ship and how did you navigate that and i also want to tie into the the black talent initiative and how that got started so 
you know, being a, a, a black man in, in Canada, um, I, it's still North America. Yes, it's not the U.S., but you must have experienced stuff. And even being an agency owner, it must have been, you know, how do you, de- how do you deal with that? Well, I'll tell you a couple of really quick stories. So I did not have the harsh black experience of growing up where, you know, money was a problem. We were frugal, but we always had everything. My parents saved to provide. And when they provide, it was great. You know, like I was grade six. I had the first kid to have a new 10 speed. Like we were not poor. We were firmly middle-class, but we were very attentive to money, solid house, all that stuff. But at the same time, I can remember in grade eight, going to my date's house. And when her father realized I wasn't white, that date never happened. Um, I can remember in grade five, my class nickname was Jungle Bunny teacher didn't think that was appropriate. So he had a class meeting to get me a new nickname and he approved the new one, which was nature boy. <laughs> like, I, I can't make this up. Oh, wow. um, I can remember my parents talking about when they first took me to soccer and the English coach said, I black players aren't good players and wouldn't even let us try out uh, playing hockey coaches, you know, players telling them they're going to chop me up in hockey pucks or skin me into a wetsuit. All that is prejudice and bigotry. I don't think, I really understood what racism was until I got out of really changing my frame of reference. And I would say for much of my career, I actually think I had what I call a form of reverse racism was because I was the only, everybody remembered me, right? It was almost like, mm. I remember a new kid moved into Aurelia and he was, you know, I met him the second day he wanted to take me home and show me to his mom like I was a new toy, right? Like, touch his hair. It's really interesting. Oh, God. But all that being said, you know, a couple of things you know, was lucky enough to make some good money earlier in my career, bought a really cool lime green BMW, drove to a touch football game in Scarborough where I was playing, got pulled over by the cops for no reason twice on the way there and went to the way back in the same day, right? Uh, First time I went to a meeting in the States, opened the door to get into the boardroom and the account executive from Leo Burnett, Chicago came running up to me and said, that's okay, we don't need more coffee. Like, what? I'm here to present to the CEO of Fruit of the Loom. What, what are you talking about? So I would say that I'm, I mean, there was a few times when I noticed I go to certain American conferences or I'd have meetings with people and they wouldn't hire us. And I, and I remember thinking, what did I do wrong? And so I don't know whether it's, it was biased or not, but I would say I will not stand in front of you and tell you that racism got my way. In fact, Racism did not get in my way in terms of my career. You know, I say all that, and then I could tell you 10 more stories about being at a Canadian Olympic Committee uh, fundraiser with Gary Lund, the former minister of sport, and being in an elevator in Montreal in a beautiful suit, and having a man and a woman whispering, and then lean across to me with their coat check tag and say, could you get our coats first, please? And I literally, like in a crowd, I'm like, are you giving these two, because I'm black? Countless restaurants. <laughs> Valet parking, people giving me, like, can you get my car? And even three weeks ago, I went to a smoothie shop and this woman who wasn't the regular looked at me and she said, Uber Eats? Oh, wow. I'm nothing against Uber drivers, but like, you know, and so what I, do you want to flip over the black talent initiative or do you want to stay? Well, I I mean, just just to to add a comment around the, you know, um, reverse racism, I, I, growing up in a, I grew up in the suburbs of of Vancouver in the 80s prior to the 97, you know, Hong Kong, uh, migration. And so it was, it was me, uh, the Filipino kid and the Italian kid and everyone right. else was, was white. And it was like, 
I think you and I said, were at the same school, weren't we? Well, I mean, I think same we school. were. I mean, we didn't even have black kids in Coquitlam. I, I swear we didn't have a black kid in Coquitlam until like the 90s. But it was, it made me memorable. And, and, and I think maybe I was too dumb, I don't know, to, to recognize that. I did have, you know, some kids say, you know, go back to your own country and stuff like that. But um, I'm like, well, I, I'm from here. So, okay. And, and that was really the extent of it. But because I think inherently internally we as marketers maybe as entrepreneurs i don't know i just i took it as a hey this is novel this is different and i'm going to use it to my advantage as 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 what i can now it didn't help me with the ladies i i think um you know you 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 mentioned something about you know didn't getting much dates with your your car and whatnot but i um i don't know i've been in many business situations where i've been around a lot of boardrooms where i am literally the only person of color in the in, entire room. And I've never really, you know, made it a, a bad thing. I was just kind of, I felt, okay, well, I'm, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to present something. And, yeah. and I think people can give, so long as you can, you know, say the things that you need, you're, you're there to say and, and passionate about it. And you're making, again, like you said, the client's lives better. Well, I, I haven't, I haven't experienced that, but maybe let's, yeah, let's go to the black talent initiative because there are certainly folks that have experienced it and and I'd like to hear more about that. And I love what you said there, Ted, because I would say 100%, there's nothing about my career that I feel held back. Like ultimately, when I write my memoir, it's not going to be being Black stopped me from doing this or that. But, you know, you fast forward to May of 2020 and, you know, George Floyd's brutal murder, right? And, you know... It shook everybody. And I I think there's a bunch of reasons, right? It's all been well discussed. But I remember thinking, that could be me. I've been Mm -hmm. to Minnesota. I've been to lots of places in the United States. I've gone into stores and restaurants and bars. What happens if I walked out of a bar and forgot to pay? They called the police on me. And literally, you're like, there is no danger being presented by this man. And he is being choked to death, begging for his mother. And so we all reacted in different ways. I got angry, had some great questions asked of me by teammates, one of them being, you're the owner of the company and you're the only Black person here. And back to the opening, we talked about my involvement with mental health, which is vital to me, and coaching and Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And it made me realize that not only I had had done nothing from the Black community, but I, in some cases, had silenced myself. You know, our conference series. We partnered with the National Football League to do an event around draft in Nashville in 2019. And we're supposed to be in Vegas in 2020, you know, yet, and I'm a big Steelers fan, yet I look at, you know, how Colin Kaepernick's been ostracized from the league for literally expressing his free will. And probably if he suited up again, would be the, you know, the victim of, a, of sniper shots, right? Oh God, I hope not. There isn't one owner in the league who has enough kahunas to put him on the field. But, you know, I think for me personally, I realized that I was compromising myself and I was being the black person as maybe you've been the Asian person when comments have been made or things you read and you've said, well, that's, that's some other Asian person's problem. That's some other black person's problem. And you and I have platforms. We have independence. We have control of our destiny. We have voices. We have people that listen to us. We have people we influence. And I realized I wasn't using my influence to help black people, black talent. Originally, I was really focused on young black people. Now I have a real consciousness that there are many people 
some of them my age who are underemployed because when they were young, their guidance counselor said, no, you're not going to university, you're black. Or maybe they had to, you know, earn instead of learn because their familiar setup was required, you know, them to contribute to the household income. Or maybe they came from a culture where maybe the parents were like, well, no, you're, you know, you're not going to make it to university. You know, today we had a new young woman who started for us, who's, you know, trying to guess her age, let's say under 25, you know, the first person in her family to graduate from university. It's 2021. Wow. It's 2021. So George Floyd was murdered. I got asked some great questions. I had a rant. A lot of people in my community connected with me. And I would say what I've learned over the last year is frightening. And you and I talked a little bit about this, but racism is alive and well in this country. Vile racism, violence against Black people, Asian people, Jewish people, Indigenous people, discrimination, uh, barriers. You and I walk into a situation and like it or not, we are immediately labeled, not always negatively, but we're immediately put into a box. If you or I were 11, we're immediately labeled. Do you know that in the city of Toronto, that black students are four times more likely to be expelled than white students in school? You cannot tell me that black kids are 400% more rambunctious. Now, it doesn't happen that often, but a black man in Toronto is 20 times, two zero more likely to be shot dead by a police officer in Toronto than a white man. A black woman is three times more likely to not have a family doctor. You know, a black students are 30% more likely to go to university if they have a black teacher, but many of them never do. I do a lot of volunteering in sports. The OUA, which is part of youth sports, I'm the chair of their black, biracial, and indigenous task force. There are universities in this province that have 60% of their football players, you know, we're talking about a roster of 70, 80 kids. So a lot of people with no black coaches. And some of those coaches have 15 teams of 15 coaches. And all that being said, when you look at business and a lot of these companies that are running around saying, we support Black Lives Matter and we support Indigenous and Truth and Reconciliation. And then you go to their leadership team, you go to their boards. There aren't any black people there. You look at their organization People hire people that look, smell, taste like them. If you went to Queens and you took commerce, you hired Queens commerce grads. You know, there are still racist incidents all over this campus. Last year at Dalhousie University, Black medical students were getting together and their Zoom was crashed by white supremacist students. It happens every day. You know, University of Ottawa professor used the N-word in class. Black student complained, their parents complained. The University of Ottawa backed that prof up for free speech. They then, as part of their ammunition, commissioned a Leger poll to try to tell the parents, well, Canada agrees with us. And they are right. 60% of Canadian adults agreed that a prof should be able to use the N-word in a classroom. And I asked you if you had a homosexual son, how you would feel about him sitting in second year university with a prof yelling the F-word. Or your child or you having to put up with a prof saying, well, you know, that's insane. So, so my point is when we step back and we look at where we are in corporate Canada, what we're doing at the Black Talent Initiative is really two things. We are trying to find ways to provide hope and opportunity through a community based, volunteer driven organization that now has about 60 active volunteers. We're a year old with three full time staff already. We are signing deals with big, beautiful companies on creating systemic change on how they hire, how they recruit how they put up job postings. 
how their organization looks. But I will tell you that we have so far to go. And I say, yes, we're in the business of hope and opportunity, but Ted, we are fighting racism. And I get myself in trouble, but I don't care anymore. I made that joke about an angry black man, but now you have a permanent angry black man. I am going to be angry until companies change, that they aren't just paying lip service. They're not just putting up the pride flag one month and the Black Lives Matter flag another month and then doing something around you know, autism awareness, like, and myself included, our company has to change. But look around corporate Canada. I listen to these fucking companies talking on and on about what they're doing. And then I go to the board and I see, with all the respect, a whole bunch of, of white men. And I love white men. They're great. They paid me a lot of money over time. But you know what? It's time for you to be purposeful and put a black man or a black woman or an Asian man or an Asian woman or somebody who identifies themselves a different way. I don't care what they are. It's time for our company to hire somebody potentially with a physical disability because we worked with the Canadian Paralympic Committee forever. It's time for business to say, maybe that young woman with Downs can do a job at our company and we can figure it out. But Black Talent Initiative, and I'm doubling down on it, and I've been asked about, you know, broader mandates. I said, look, we're just going to tackle this one thing. We are here to fight racism. Hey, Canadian banks, stop putting every Black actress and actor you can find in your ads and put them on your board. Mm. So how do people find out more about that? Black Talent Initiative Network, or go to my LinkedIn or hit me up at mh3 at mh3group.com and happy to chat. We've got volunteers, as you mentioned, like Christine, all across the country. We are slowly rolling out some amazing partnerships. And every Friday at 12.30 Eastern, we have a meetup. What happens at the meetup? We have various guest speakers. So last week, we had a gentleman named Brandon Hay, who's the founder of the Black Daddies Club. Black Daddies Club. What does the Black Daddies Club want to do? They want to change the perception of Black fathers in the media. When I say to you, mm-hmm. think of Black fathers, what comes to mind? Even my mind, stereotypes come to mind. Absenteeism, divorce, whatever. All mm-hmm. horrible things. What should come to mind is Ron Harrison, who's my father, right? Married 64 years this year. That's fantastic. So then uh, can anyone uh, check it out or like you you're wanting like folks, uh, corporate Canada, or is it like people looking to volunteer? What do you think? We're on LinkedIn. We've got our digital presences everywhere. Here's what I say to people. I'm not just come and get to know our community, come to a meetup, hear our guest speakers, hear what we're talking about, hear the, the stories understand the Black experience, and I'm learning about it every day, understand, you know, what it's like to be the first person from your family to graduate from university, understand what it's like to not get a scholarship to a university because you didn't do enough extracurriculars, because on the scholarship application form, you know what there's not a box for? There's not a box for I was the oldest of four children. My mom worked two jobs. So I had to make food, clean the house and et cetera, et cetera. So then, you know what? I didn't have time to walk the little old lady across the street to the mall. But look at any scholarship form of any university, any program bursary and show me where that is. Show me where the taking care of my little brother and sister is on the scholarship form. It's not there. And that's racism. That is racism because the system is written for other people. All of it, top to bottom. You know, look at our governments, look at our cabinets, look at our institutions. So, anyway, I'm ranting, 
But back to your point, where can you find us? Find us at blacktalentinitiative.network or hit me up on LinkedIn. Amen. I'm going to ask a couple of rapid fire questions just to wrap up the, the, the talk. I wasn't going to ask you boxes or briefs, not, not right now, but you did talk about your urinal story. So maybe I should. There but... you go. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I used to go offside about seven times. Oh, don't worry about it. Today it's, it's, it's you're, you've been good. You've been good. I mean, we'll, we'll go for the offside in, in the Friday, 12 PM Eastern zoom calls. All right. So you ready? Yeah. Best entrepreneur or marketing book that's changed your life. Um, the best entrepreneurial book that changed my life is The E-Myth. By Michael that was the first one I read. Yeah. What's your best marketing book? Uh, that's a tough one. What's yours? My favorite marketing book. It's, you know, I read more entrepreneurial books than marketing yeah. books because being an entrepreneur. But uh, what would be my favorite marketing book? Well, I might go old school and say dust off Ogilvy on advertising. It's a really old one. I was thinking about the purple cow. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, like it, it, it was a good book at the time, but I don't know. I keep thinking, I keep thinking like entrepreneur books. Anyway, See, you wouldn't classify as marketing books, but I would almost say anything Malcolm Gladwell's written because it's about behavior and, and humans. So that's that's a different way into to marketing. But go, go on to your next question. I'm making your rapid fire kind of slow, aren't I? What's the superpower? If you could get a superpower, what would it, what would it be? Get a superpower? Yeah, if you had a superpower, like like what was it laser eyes or invisibility? I know nothing about those things. I'm not a Marvel superpower. superpower oh, person. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm boring. What position I, did you play? The position I wanted to play was quarterback, aka the personality. The position I played the most was slotback. Slotback. So you fast. Yeah. Uh, no, I could just do a little bit of everything. Nothing great. Nothing poor. Are you a texting guy or are you, I, I could, I probably already know this. You texting guy or you're talking guy? Oh, I'm a multi-platform guy. I have texts. I have Insta. I have my messenger people. It depends on the person. Am I talking people? Am I walking people? I like that. I like that. You, yeah. you actually are, are, um, agnostic so long as it serves the other person. Yeah. Favorite day of the week? Monday. Top band that you list or group doesn't really matter. That you listened to back in the day with your eight track player or whatever it was. Um, well, favorite performer uh, artist all times Prince, um, but Jay Giles band would be probably maybe top band. Mm-hmm. I'm a Prince man. Are you a cake or a pie man? Mm, pie. Favorite snack to get at a ball game. What type of ball game? Football. Uh, probably nothing because I want to watch the game. Wow. You are hardcore. Are you, are you serious? Like not I'm even not, a halftime, you're going to go in and get something? I'm not there to eat. Wow. I'll have eaten, I'll, I'll have eaten hydrated. I just got to focus. Got rid of how, exactly how many fluids I need because I know I'll have some beers, but yeah. Do you have a hobby given you're so busy? Do I have a hobby? I have a bunch of hobbies. Uh, so squash is a big hobby. Play a lot non-COVID time. I read a lot. During COVID, I've been teaching myself how to play the piano, which has been amazing. And I like to write my journal a lot. And I, I'm sort of, I'm the person who's always kind of writing through for ideas for books. I'm waiting for that memoir. I also, uh, I picked up, uh, or re, I re-picked up piano over COVID I, uh, and, and guitar as well. Oh, nice. I'm jealous. I suck, but I just find when you can string a few notes together and make a sound, it's pretty relaxing. It's pretty nice. 
Where are you planning to travel once the restrictions lift? Um, well, I do have a trip plan that I'm hoping I can execute that you'll kind of like. Okay. Steelers at Chargers in LA in November. Day before USC plays UCLA. So USC is my college oh, no. team. Wow. So yeah, but if I could go anywhere tomorrow in the world, I go to Murren, Switzerland, M-U-R-R-E-N. My wife and I's favorite place. It's a car-free village in the Jungfrau. Stay at the Hotel Iger and highly recommend it. Wow. I think I'd probably go see the game instead. No offense. That's okay. Yeah. Um, Organization you donated time or money to that's not your own? Organization I donated time or money to. Well, there's tons. Scott Mission, Covenant House, Kids Hospital. Time, you know, I talked a lot about CAMH, the mental health hospital that I'm involved with. Um, And uh, yeah. You know, 20, 25 years of coaching, two seasons a year, yeah. a lot of time donated. Two seasons a lot. Okay, final question. Who plays in the Super Bowl this year? Ah. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to go weird. Dallas and Baltimore. That is completely weird and completely not going to happen. Are you kidding? How is that possible? I was thinking more likely... Well, NFC, I think it'll be it'll be Packers or or Tampa, and then AFC. I don't know. I think it's a rematch to the the Bills and the Chiefs. So Josh no, Allen goes backwards. Yeah, uh, Chiefs O line isn't as prepared as they thought it was. Lamar Jackson finally figures it out. Lamar Jackson is awesome. Yeah, finally figures it out. Cowboys defense stays healthy. Tom Brady gets injured, and Aaron Rodgers think that relationship's fractured, and I don't think it can be repaired. And so that's my... You know football more than me. But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. It starts very soon. I can't wait. I mean, I got, I got my... Not to plug a, the DAZN thing, but... Uh, I, I'm, I, just, I just got my, my uh, subscription, so my wife is... Uh, Kind of rolled her eyes, but she's like, all right, it's fine. You do you. It's okay. It's all good. So. Yeah. You know what? You should tell your wife that unlike my wife, who spent 30 years now, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pathetic. Like I watch like 10 entire games a weekend. The entire, like in a weekend, 10 entire games. Yeah. Well, if you start with the Thursday nighter and you include the Monday nighter, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So you'll watch the whole game. Like you'll actually like. Sit through. You won't do like what I'll do is like I'll do the thirty second jump. No, like after, not, no, don't. You'll watch the whole thing. It's like that's like. Don't you run like six companies? How do you do this? I got people. That's got like going people. to an opera and and just like spending you know the whole middle period at the snack bar. I like the snack bar. All right. Well, hey, Mark. Any final thoughts to uh, those out there that are listening? You know, I would say this. Do more than your job. Pick something that's going to change the world. Recognize that your talents can be applied to something. And if you've got a job and you just do your job for the next 10 years and the person next to you does their job and helps fix the world, I'll bet that person actually gets farther ahead in their job. I think, you know, part of what you'll need to do is crawl on somebody else's skin and find out what it's like to be Asian or black or challenged or, you know, having a gender identity issue. And I'd say, if you can't do that, 
at a minimum, demand better. Demand better from our politicians. Demand better from our healthcare systems. Demand that we take on things like the opioid crisis and overdose. Demand that that we treat our Indigenous with their rightful heir to the land. But I just think that, though, you know, I'm not a fan of people on the sidelines. When I used to coach community football, the chirping parents drove my wife nuts. I said, I don't actually care about their chirping. I care about the fact that they're too lazy to actually contribute. All right. Well, hey, Mark, thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And thanks for, for staying late to, to have this call with me today. And, and, me uh, and I mean, it was fun. And uh, yeah, everybody, you can find Mark Harrison on LinkedIn. Check out the Black Talent Initiative. And uh, that's another episode of Marketing News Canada. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.